Last week, Josh used a phrase in his sermon that's really stuck with me all week. He said that too often, many of us, we are going through life running scared. We're running scared. And he put up that famous photo of Usain Bolt as he crosses the winning line and he's looking round as he records a, a world record for the 100 metres. Usain Bolt, the exception, the anomaly that proves the rule that when we run, we need to run looking forwards. But too often as we go through life, you and I, we're not looking forwards, but we're looking around at other things. We're, we're running scared. I remember a school cross-country competition when I was uh, 11 or 12, about 100 of us boys, and I sprinted off from the start line when the gun went. And I miraculously, I got to the end of the first field of this cross-country run, and I got to the end of the first field in first position. But the problem was, I got to the end of the first field, and I didn't know where to go. I hadn't a clue where to run next. I didn't know where I was supposed to be heading. And so I literally, I had to stop. And I just had to look around as I got overtaken by all these other boys. And in the end, I came 20th. And it's rather sad that I can still remember my position 33 years later. Well, in chapter three of Philippians, Paul is dividing all of us into one of two groups. And one group he pictures as running, running by looking forwards. This group, they know where they're heading. They know who they're heading to. They're, they're heading to be face to face with Jesus in heaven. So it's verse 14. Paul says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. And then the other group he pictures as those running around, like, like me in the cross country race, not knowing where they're heading, just running scared through life. And in our passage today, I was particularly struck by the description of this group, the, the running scared group. It's a description in verse 19 and it's got some powerful images in it. Just have a look at it again. Paul says their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and their mind is set on earthly things. Now just take each of those phrases in turn. First, their God is their stomach. So they're, they're characterised by worshipping themselves. You know, they are personally satisfying and tending to their stomach, to their bodies. There's no external authority guiding them on how to live. They're just being directed by their own personal satisfaction. What will bring me the greatest pleasure? That's the question they're always asking. Their God is their stomach. They worship self. And then their glory is in their shame. You see, they boast when they should be blushing. That they're saying what God has declared right is wrong, and what God has declared wrong is right. They glory in their shame, their sin, and then their mind is set on earthly things. They are the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes lived out. Do you remember that experiment that Solomon conducts? He says, is there meaning in life under the sun? You know, is there meaning in life if you take God out of the picture, if you just set your mind on earthly things, is there meaning in life? And that is these people. They are focused on what is under the sun, on a life without God. And you know what this current time with all its restrictions and challenges, what it's taught us, what it has shouted to us loud and clear. It has shown us that a mindset of worshipping self, of glorying and shame, of focusing on life under the sun, it has shown us that this mindset of running scared, that it is absurd. It just doesn't stack up. It doesn't make sense. I mean, why worship self 
when more than ever we are discovering that our bodies, they are totally unreliable things to worship. They wear out, they get sick, they fail us. You know, worshipping self, it's not running, looking forwards to Jesus. No, worshipping self is running, turned in on itself. It is running, looking at myself. And, you know, that is a ridiculous way to run, to run, looking at myself. Oh, and why glory and shame? When again and again, what we're hearing from people at this time is, I don't want to go back to my old ways. Coronavirus, it's changed me. It's changed my outlook on life. It's changed my priorities. You see, glorying and shame, it isn't looking forwards to Jesus as we run. No, it is running, looking upside down. It's having a topsy-turvy view on life. It's glorying in shame. And why focus on life under the sun, life without God? When Solomon's verdict all those centuries ago, his verdict, do you remember it? It was meaningless, meaningless. It's like a chasing after the wind. You see, life without God, it's like, it's like running around in circles trying to catch the wind. I mean, you can't do it. It's impossible. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. And it is what so many have discovered today. It's why nearly half of the country has prayed since lockdown started. It's why 25% of the country have visited an online church service like this one. Life under the sun without God. It's not life running, looking forwards to Jesus. No, it's life running, looking round and round in circles. And all of that, running, looking at myself, running, looking upside down, running, looking round and round in circles, all of that, it is about running scared. Now, a phrase that I often use about the Bible is this, that the Bible has a knack of disturbing the comfortable and comforting the disturbed. So first, if I may, I want to disturb the comfortable. And I include myself in this. If you've been listening to me and you've been thinking, yeah, great words, Jago, I agree with what you say. Thank you for showing the absurdity of a life not focused on Jesus. Thank you so much. I'm a Christian. I'm with you, Jago. I am comfortable with all you're saying. If that's you, then if I may, I'm just going to disturb you for a moment, just as I want to disturb myself. And I want to disturb you by saying this. We might call ourselves Christians, Christians who are running forwards to Jesus. But too often, certainly for me, too often we live life just like those who are running scared. Let me give you one example. Did you make any mad panic lockdown purchases? Anything that you sort of bought in, the, in those few days a couple of months ago when we knew lockdown was coming but it hadn't actually started? Let me rather embarrassingly tell you my three mad panic lockdown purchases. Number one was I bought a rowing machine. And I've used it precisely five times since lockdown. Number two, I bought a solar panel to connect to our infamous swimming pool that the children dug in our back garden with the hope that it would make the water warm. But one solar panel makes absolutely no difference whatsoever. And then number three, most bizarre of all, my neck was hurting. And so I saw advertised on Instagram a neck hammock. Here's my neck hammock uh, that I bought to try and ease the pain in my neck. And I've used it three times, and every single time, my children have just laughed at my complete ridiculousness. Now, there's nothing wrong with rowing machines. There's nothing wrong with solar panels. There's nothing even wrong with neck hammocks, as ridiculous as they are. But what do those things indicate to you 
about where I was looking as we entered lockdown. You know, was I looking forwards to Jesus? Was I running to Jesus at that time? Or was I just running scared into lockdown? Was I looking in on myself, just trying to, trying to bring personal satisfaction to my body as I lounged in my supposedly warm pool with my rowing tone body and a stress-free neck? You see, it is only, only when we're convinced of our eternal future, verses 20 and 21, when we're convinced that we are citizens of heaven, that that is where our home truly is, that we will one day be face to face with Jesus, that our bodies will be transformed. It is only then that we will live wholeheartedly for Jesus now. That we'll run focused on Jesus now, even if it challenges our personal ease and comfort in the present. I mean, can I ask you another question? What makes you cry? What makes you cry? That is a good indicator. What makes you cry? Just have a think. When did you cry last? For me, the most recent time that I cried, and this is, this is even more embarrassing than a neck pillow, the last time I cried was watching a family movie with the children. It was watching Alvin and the Chipmunks. That's when I last cried. Now compare that to Paul. Paul, verse 18, what does he say? He says, for as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. I mean, haven't I got it so totally wrong that I'm more upset about the love life of one imaginary chipmunk than I am about the eternal life of millions of real people? How about you? How about you? Are you actually running, looking forwards to Jesus? Or actually, are you living life as though you are running scared? So that's disturbing the comfortable. But this passage, it also comforts the disturbed. Because some of you listening, You'll have been thinking, I am running scared. You know, I, I'm not sure if I'm a Christian or not. I'm not sure which way I'm running, but I know it's not primarily to Jesus. And this passage you'll be saying seems to suggest that that, that makes me an enemy of the cross of Christ and my destination is destruction. And that may all be true. But the incredible comfort for you is it does not need to stay that way. You see, God, God has put this longing in the heart of all people, a longing to come home to him. And he's placed that longing in all of us. For many of us, perhaps we've blocked out that longing for years or we've filled that longing with other things. But maybe over the last weeks and months, with all that has changed in our world, we have recognised that longing again. That longing to run to someone. To run to someone who is totally loving and trustworthy and reliable. To run to the one who is our creator and who knows us and who loves us. And that longing, it can only be fulfilled by running to Jesus. You see, here's the deal. Here's the deal. You and I, we are tempted to worship self. Our love of self 
has led us to focus on personal bodily satisfaction. And we've pushed out God from our lives. Yet Jesus Christ on the cross, his love of others, you and me, his love of others has led to his body being destroyed, not satisfied. So that you and I can be pulled back to God. And you and I, we're tempted to lift up and glory in our shame. But Jesus on the cross, he took all that shame from you and from me. And Jesus bore the punishment for that shame in our place. And you and I, we're tempted to focus on what is under the sun, to, to leave God out of the picture. But in Jesus, God left his home of heaven. He came down to be under the sun so that you and I can be citizens of heaven. You see, there is only one route to be heading on a destiny of destruction. And that is a route that tramples over the cross. That is a route that says to Jesus, that says the most loving act ever in history, Jesus, you dying in my place. I'm not fussed by it. I'll ignore it. It makes no difference in my life. It's to say to Jesus, I'm an enemy of the cross. Elsewhere in the Bible, it says this. It says Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous, Jesus, for the unrighteous, us, to bring you to God. And that is what many people are experiencing today, coming home to God, being brought to God as they turn from trampling on and ignoring the cross of Christ and as they turn to Jesus and thank Jesus for all that he has done in love for them. So take Steph, who read the Bible passage earlier in our service. Almost a year ago to this day, Steph walked into a church service at HTC on the common when we were actually allowed to have church services in the church building. And she walked in because she'd seen the church on the common and because she'd heard about it on TV. And as she heard the talk at that service, this is what happened in her own words. She says this. She said, I understood for the first time that faith is not about sticking to a set of rules, always falling short and never feeling good enough. It's simply about believing and trusting in Jesus and all that he did on the cross for me and being made right with God through that. Or more recently, take a colleague of someone at HTC called Roe. Roe was reading a book that I've written called 100% Christianity. And at his work each night, he'd leave his book on the desk when he went home. And after he'd left work each night, it turned out that his colleague, she would read a chapter of my book because she was intrigued by Roe. She was intrigued by Roe's faith in Jesus and the, the difference that that made for Roe in life. And then what's happened is since lockdown, this colleague of Rose, she has decided to go and do Alpha, Alpha Online. And three weeks ago, she came home to God. She decided to live as a friend of the cross of Christ, not an enemy. So two people there, two people with very different stories, but both of them coming home to God as they trusted in the cross of Christ. As I close... Uh, can I tell you a story, a story of a little girl growing up in a, in, a, in a village in Brazil who, as she got older, she dreamed of moving to the bright lights of the big city. And in her teenage years, her relationship with her parents had got more and more strained, so much so that age 16 or 17, she ran away from home. 
She traveled to the big city. Her parents were naturally distraught. They didn't know where she was. She didn't get in touch. And it turned out that she had got herself involved in more and more dangerous and difficult situations. And so what her dad decided, her dad decided to get a photo of his daughter. And he got a photo of his daughter and he photocopied it thousands of times. And then he traveled to the big city and he went all around the city just sticking these pictures of his daughter up everywhere on walls, on billboards, on lampposts. And very soon, one day, his daughter saw one of these pictures of herself on a lamppost staring out at her. And so she pulled this bit of paper. She pulled it from the lamppost. And she spotted on the back of the bit of paper in, in her dad's distinctive handwriting were these words. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, come home. And today, I believe that those are God's words to some people listening to. Very simply, God says to you, wherever you are, whatever you've done, come home. Now I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer that you might like to pray if you would like to come home to God. If you know you'd like to turn to Jesus, to, to run life looking forwards to Jesus rather than going through life running scared. And if that's you, why not pray this prayer? It's going to appear on the screen and say this prayer with me. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you want to be friends with me. Thank you that you love me so much that in Jesus you died on the cross for me. Lord, I know all too often I have worshipped self. I have been running scared and I ask for your forgiveness. I want to turn today from being an enemy of the cross of Christ and turn to be a friend of yours. I put my trust in you, Jesus. Please, would you make your home in me now by your spirit as I come home to you today? 